Good morning, Solano. My name is Hewitt, and I'll be doing the scripture reading this morning. Um, I invite you to take your Bibles out and read along with me. I'll be reading from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. This is God's word. Well, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight this morning as we come underneath your words in Scripture and uh, seek to apply them to our lives and to, to live them uh, throughout the course of our weeks and months and years to be faithful, as we just sang, as Miguel just sang, to continue to walk with you and uh, to be faithful. So help us in that, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So one of the challenges that I face uh, as I'm preparing sermons is related to expectations, right? Sometimes uh, it's a really difficult passage that we're looking at. Sometimes it's a really famous text that everybody knows really well, or sometimes it's just a, a really precious passage that uh, I want to do such a good job in unfolding it. And there's a sense in which what if in my hands it fails to have the impact on people's lives that it could, right? There's a sense of expectations. And I can smell it when I'm moving into this territory because I get tense during my preparation time. I get really intense during my preparation time. I get worried about judgment, mostly from myself, but sometimes from others. Uh, and then I, I can sense that there's, there's an element of striving to be good enough that enters into the process. Uh, gone is the sense of freedom and lightness and the joy of discovery, right? And then taking that discovery and generously sharing it with others, just in a spirit of openness and, and freedom, right? So I find that in life, there are these two modes. Uh, there's the mode of, you know, intensity, uh, tension, uh, worry, and striving. And then on the other side, there's freedom and lightness, right? And joy and generosity, and my guess is I'm probably not alone in this. I'm probably not the only one who struggles at times with the projects that are on our plate to 
dispatch them to go through them in a way that that matches that sort of freedom and, and lightness and joy. Maybe for you, you have an academic presentation that you need to make, or you have a work project that you need to make within the context of your work setting, or maybe, you know, you think about those moments when there's a, a really important conversation, sometimes what we call a crucial conversation that needs to happen with, maybe it's a child, or maybe it's somebody in your extended family, or maybe it's a coworker, or somebody in your church community, and you find yourself sort of getting into that place of tension and intensity, right, and worry and striving, uh, or maybe Maybe it's, a, it's an opportunity that has been presented to you, you know, like a new project that comes with it, you know, the possibility of some sort of advancement or maybe living into the dream that you've always had and now you have the opportunity and now that it's right before you, you're, 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 you're worried and you, you're filled with a sense of striving, you know, I got to be good enough in this thing that I've been given. Or, or just one more example. Sometimes don't we feel this way when somebody sort of gives us the opportunity to share our faith? You know, we've been praying about it and looking for the opportunity and, you know, we've been trying to represent Jesus well and then all of a sudden in the moment when they say, well, what do you actually believe, right? You, you suddenly feel overwhelmed, this sense of tension or intensity, like, am I gonna say the right thing? Am I gonna be good enough? in this particular situation. Well, the Apostle Paul um, was the kind of person who lived a life where there were many, many opportunities for him to wrestle, to grapple with this same tension between freedom and lightness and joy and generosity or, or intensity, uh, tension, worry, and, and striving. And uh, what we get to see this morning is sort of a window into his heart and his processing of how he deals with expectations that the world around him would place on him and how he continues to live in a sense of freedom and joy in the midst of what we would be really heavy, uh, pressured expectations that are on them. And I just have to say that as I sat with this text this week and tried to really inhabit it and, and understand it, you know, I come to one of these moments where I look at the Apostle Paul, and I just have to sit back in my chair and say, you know, this guy, he just lives on a different spiritual plane than I often live on. He just lives on a different spiritual plane. Somehow, he has grasped the awesome and powerful truths of Jesus Christ, and he's taken them on board so deeply and internalized them so fully that he moves through the world in a way that's just other than what I often experience. But here's the good news. Because of God's grace, we have a window into Paul's thinking and understanding, into the depth of his walk with his Lord and his Savior, Jesus Christ. And in looking into his life through that window, we get the hope and the possibility of moving more and more into the kind of life that the Apostle Paul lived, that, that life of freedom and joy. And not only do we have the information and the experience to look in on, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is living and moving in our midst and moving in your life to bring about transformation and growth in this particular area as well as many others. So that's my prayer for us as I've been looking through this. I want to take this on board. I want to live this way. And I want for us 
all collectively and individually to have the freedom and the joy that comes from a life lived in the way the Apostle Paul teaches us here in this text this morning. So I've got two things I want to say. Um, I want to talk about expectations on Paul and, uh, and then the expectations that are on us. And then I want to talk about how Paul found freedom and how we can too. So those will be the two moves that we're going to do. Uh, there'll be some subpoints in there, but those are the, the big picture moves. So how is it uh, in that day, the day of the Corinthian church, that Paul might have been pressed by the expectations upon him? You know, to put it in a different way, uh, how might he have sought to earn a place of value and worth among them by meeting their demands upon him? How might he have uh, sought to earn a place of value and worth among them, the Corinthian church, uh, by meeting their demands upon him? So when we're in this realm, we're in the realm of what many would refer to as, you know, identity formation, the expectations that are upon us, whether we or not we meet them, the, the impact that it has to be living under expectations, et cetera, et cetera. And so let me, let me say a few words about, uh, about that, about identity formation and some changes that have taken place uh, throughout history uh, around the topic of, of identity formation. And this is going to hopefully set us up to have a deeper understanding of, of the wisdom of Paul and the depth of his spiritual, his walk with Jesus. So there's a professor, you've heard me talk about him many times, Charles Taylor, who's been extremely helpful in understanding how people have historically sought to find value and worth uh, in themselves. And what's interesting about Charles Taylor is he really crosses lines. I mean, he, he, he writes in such a way that many Christians uh, are looking at his, re, at his writing and his understanding and, and helping it uh, to really drive us back to the scripture to understand what does identity formation really mean. But then also, I have had conversations with professors at Cal where I've said, hey, have you read any Charles Taylor? They're like, yeah, I love Charles Taylor. So he sort of crosses lines. He's, he's somebody who's being read widely in secular circles and in Christian circles. Um, and, and, and for his, explan- his historical explanation, of how identity formation has uh, taken place and how it's changed. So let me, let me give a, just a brief summary of what he says. He says the traditional way that people have formed identities um, throughout history is from the outside in, from the outside in. And that means that basically throughout history, society has put expectations upon people. Okay, so the society itself, the people of the society put expectations on people uh, and, uh, uh, and people discover a sense of value and worth by meeting those demands, by meeting those expectations from the outside. Uh, if, if you've grown up in a traditional culture, which I know uh, some of us have, uh, some of us have had experience with multiple different cultures, if you've grown up or had experience with a traditional culture, you know how this works, right? Your, your parents or others expect certain things from you, and as you meet the demands that are placed on you, you are rewarded with, with the kinds of affirmations that give you a sense of value and a sense of significance. So that's the traditional way. What's happened in modern Western societies, uh, according to Charles Taylor, is that the process has been reversed, that value and a sense of significance uh, now move from inside out. So whereas it moved from the outside in, expectations upon you, now it moves from inside out. Instead of people around us making demands on us, we now make demands on them. Our posture is essentially that society is obligated to validate us 
And regardless of whether we meet old traditional expectations or not. And so this gives license uh, to do more and more outlandish things with the expectation that it, they will be, that we will, and they, those things will be validated by those around us. And it's almost seen as the job of people around us to provide that validation. And if they don't, then they get canceled or, or shut out or, or somehow um, distanced. So there was an interesting article in the New York Times uh, a while back related uh, to self-esteem. And for many years, it was thought, uh, you, this is, you can see how some of this thinking plays itself out here. Um, for many years, uh, th- there was a the belief that you know, all the bad things that people did were a result of low self-esteem. Uh, and it turns out, actually, that on further research, and that's what this article was about, it was like the, the research uh, at the time, it's been many years now, but at the time it was newer research on self-esteem, and it turns out that some of the most awful people have tremendously high self-esteem. So it's not just a question of self-esteem. So all the endless ways we've sought to build people's self-esteem by telling them, and and this is going somewhere, I'm going to bring this back to the Bible and to Paul, Uh, all all the endless ways we've sought to build people's self-esteem by telling them that they can uh, do no wrong has not led to less evil in the world. That's what the article was saying, and it was based on a bunch of research that they had done. So the point here is that an obsession with, with external validation by others doesn't bring about the kind of transformation that we want. There, and so, so the, the result, there must be another way, because that obsession with external human validation doesn't bring about the kind of transformation we seek. There must be another way. So let's look now with that understanding of the traditional and the modern way of developing a sense of value and worth. Let's look at what, what at Paul's situation. And I want to just sort of do a little uh, pretend here. If Paul had brought uh, into either, had bought into either the traditional or the modern mode of developing uh, a healthy sense of self, you know, he'd be sunk. And so let's, let's just dig into his context here. Um, in particular, uh, as a speaker, Paul was somebody who had come to the place, to Corinth, the city of Corinth, and his initial foray was to speak in the public forum. And that's how people came to faith. That's how they came to understand who Jesus was. And that's how the church was birthed. He was speaking in that public forum. Um, so as a speaker, though, he was unable to meet the expectations of eloquence and charisma that uh, they had placed on him. So remember that in Corinth, there were customs around what we'd call, you know, visiting lecturers. Uh, so in Corinth, what would happen is people would show up and they would make a big splash uh, in the town. Uh, they would throw a party, a large banquet. They invite all the influential people, and they would say they would try to drum up energy and enthusiasm around their presence. And then they would step in, you know, to the main forum and speak. And they would do so. There were expectations that would they would speak with uh, incredible, uh, you know, just a, a high degree of eloquence and erudition. Uh, and, and if they did that well, then people would, you know, applaud them and clap for them. And it was a whole thing. It was like, you know, what it probably took the place of, you know, what in our current moment, you know, things like, you know, Netflix or movies or other media takes that place. We, we're looking for something big to come to town, for something exciting, something to attach ourselves. And the whole, the whole speaking thing was like that for them in Corinth. And so Paul comes on the scene 
And he does not participate in the customs around the public speaking in any way. In fact, he says he came in weakness and fear and trembling. So we go back into the beginning parts of 1 Corinthians. He came in weakness and fear and trembling. And as a result, some of the people in Corinth, the Corinthian church, criticized him because he didn't meet the expectations that they had placed upon him. And they criticized him for it. They felt that uh, what he said and how he said it sounded like foolishness. Now, on the other hand, uh, certainly it was the case that Paul was not, you know, they weren't approaching Paul like a, like a modern word. Today, you know, we would, we would have a different pro- approach. They weren't saying, you know, oh, Paul, um, you know, you're wonderful no matter what you say. You know, you, Paul, you just do you, Okay. Just stand there and you do you. Uh, we, we're, you know, doesn't matter. Uh, just feel good about yourself. Uh, we don't care what you say. So they certainly weren't coming at it from that perspective either. So Paul's in a bit of a tough spot here as we enter into his context when it comes to meeting people's expectations and deriving from that a sense of place among them. He was under heavy criticism, uh, it, which is apparent from the chapters we've been reading, uh, and yet In the midst of that criticism, this is where, uh, to me, it gets really interesting. This is precisely when we hear him make these remarkable statements that Hewitt read for us in this text. In the midst of all the criticism and the pressure to meet expectations and the perceived failure to meet those expectations by the Corinthian church, in the midst of all of that, here's what Paul says. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. Freedom and joy. This is where we have to pause for a moment and sit with it and acknowledge that Paul functions on a different spiritual plane than we often do. He's achieved a measure of freedom that's enviable. Uh, And thankfully, because we have the Holy Spirit, there's hope for us to move in this direction as well. It reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis said. We we think of C.S. Lewis as somebody who had achieved uh, a high degree of spiritual development, right? That he he had a close walk with the Lord. He was a mature Christian, certainly because, you know, he's quoted so constantly. But listen to what C.S. Lewis said about himself as relates to humility, which which really is one of the core uh, facets underneath this freedom and joy that Paul feels is this sense of humility. C.S. Lewis said this, and you've heard me quote this. Uh, I love this quote. I've quoted it many times. I wish I had got a bit further with humility myself. If I had, I could probably tell you more about the relief, the comfort of taking the fancy dress off, getting rid of the false self with all its look at me and aren't I a good boy and all its posing and posturing to get even near it. Humility, that is. Even for a moment is like a drink of cold water to a man in a desert. As you think about your life, as you think about those projects that you're working on, as you think about those expectations that the world has upon you, to be able to enter into all of those with a sense of freedom and joy, without striving constantly to be good enough, without feeling like you're buried under the pressures of judgment upon you, to be able to move through life in that way is a beautiful thing. That's what we want. 
We want to move through life in that way. Paul goes on to explain. He says, I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. For the Lord who comes will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So what is Paul doing here? Why is it that he's able to live in this place of freedom and joy where he can make this remarkable statement, but with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. What is the key to the freedom Paul enjoys? And, and then further, how can we embrace that same key and unlock the door to freedom and joy? How Paul found freedom and how we can too. So it turns out that the key is not um, to, to seek meeting expectations of others around you. So on the one side, you know, that would be a temptation for us is, yeah, okay, I'm not going to meet the expectations around you. But then is it just rejecting the idea of expectations altogether? Does, does nothing matter? Does it not matter what we do? Right? So, so how do we sort of how do we break that down? And Paul does, uh, he breaks it down for us and it's, it's kind of a threefold process. He says, first of all, uh, follow me in this. Point yourself towards the right expectations. Secondly, allow the only one truly capable of evaluating to be the judge. And, and I'll write these out for you. I'll put these on the slide as we go through them. So don't worry about capturing them perfectly now. Point yourself towards the right expectations. Allow the only one truly capable of evaluating to be the judge. And throw yourself upon his mercy. And you'll find that if you live in that way, you will be caught up in this gracious bind which will hold you in that place of freedom. In that place of joy. So point yourself towards the right expectations. A big part of what Paul has been doing in chapters one through three is recalibrating their expectations. They expected Paul to come to Corinth as somebody who would be very eloquent and very charismatic because that's what they were used to and they were placing that worldly expectation upon Paul. But Paul lives according to a different set of expectations. And that's the key so oftentimes to freedom and joy is to live according to a different set of expectations. We don't live according to the, the expectations of the world that we take on board without even reflecting on whether or not they're right and true and good. See, so many times we just take them on board and we try to live them out. And we haven't even processed if they're the right expectations. Paul doesn't, he doesn't do that. He doesn't just take on the world's expectations. You will be eloquent and charismatic and then try to live them out. He's got a different set of expectations by which his life is governed. We go backwards in 1 Corinthians, we can see him artic articulate them very clearly. Christ did not, this is 1 Corinthians 1.17, Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See the maneuver that he's doing there. He's not allowing himself to be sucked into the world's expectations. He's replacing those expectations with God's expectations. And that's a move 
that each of us has to do on a daily basis to live in the place of freedom, to replace the world's expectations with God's, with the Lord's expectations on us. He says in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 1 through 5, And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He didn't jump into the worldly expectations. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, these are the right expectations about the work God is doing through Paul. They're the right expectations about all the things we do in this life. They they are the expectations that come from God. And we're constantly having to fight this battle of recognizing the world's expectations and making sure that we haven't adopted them uncritically and replaced God's expectations with them. That's the journey of the Christian life. It's a a process of, of constant reflection and discernment and thought and prayer. It's why we need to stay so desperately close to the word of God because the word of God is, is as it says, you know, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to, to help us to see where the world's expectations have begun to encroach upon our mindset and our approach to life and to shave those away and to refocus ourselves on the expectations that God has for us. So point yourself towards the right expectations. Secondly, allow the only one truly capable of evaluating to be the judge. It's the Lord who will, it says, bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. So of course, human evaluation is a necessary part of life. Uh, We're doing our annual review process right now as a staff where once a year we sit down and we try to, you know, think carefully about where we're individually doing well. And, you know, it's so funny because we're doing this on the week that I'm reading this. And I said, by the way, you know, when we, once we're done here, Paul says you could just forget everything we say, right? Uh, but no, no, that's not the picture that we have. There is a role for, for human evaluation. And Paul seems to understand that. He, he seems to ha- approach this with a sense of humility. He doesn't just say, you know, I'll just do whatever I want. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, he, he leaves space. In verse 4, he says, I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. So you see that posture of humility in Paul where he's open to the Holy Spirit moving. And presumably the Holy Spirit in Paul's life would move through you know, the scriptures would move through the community around him. So he has an openness to people's feedback and understanding. But he also understands that there's only one who can penetrate the veil of reality and really make a solid assessment of what's happening in this world. 
There's only one who has the power to do that. Only God can really see what's going on behind the curtain. And there's two particular things that he sees that we cannot see. First, he sees all the hidden connections between the things that we're doing and the other things that are happening around us, right? Only the Lord can see. He can penetrate the veil and see the movements over here, how they connect to the movements over here. And so much of time, so much of the time, our life is shrouded in a kind of mystery where we don't understand the connections between why we were doing this and the impact that it'll have over here. And then there's all kinds of, of ways that we don't even know God is using us when we're not aware of it and the deep things that are happening subterraneously Uh, the things that are happening below the surface. Only the Lord can penetrate the veil and understand all of that. So all human evaluations, and this applies as you evaluate yourself and as you evaluate others, all these evaluations have have to be done in light of that reality that ultimately we don't have the kind of clarity. Only God has that ability to penetrate the veil. And the Lord is also the only one who can actually see the heart. You know, one day we'll discover uh, that there are things we've done and that others have done that have been seemingly bad, but were done from a heart of love. They felt, they felt bad at the time, but they were genuinely from a heart of love. And, and probably the reverse can be true as well. Things that seem good but came from a, a wrong Motive. The world is complex and only the Lord can penetrate that veil. And so we have to approach it. We have to take a posture of humility to the mystery that's happening around us and the complexity. And so, so Paul, I find, he, just, he actually just lives from a more logical standpoint. There's really no other way to approach it. His spirituality is a logical spirituality. Only the Lord. And there are going to be moments when there's heavy criticism, like Paul was experiencing in Corinth, because he's not meeting the demands of the world. But he's seeking to meet the demands, the expectations of the Lord. Only uh, Allow the only one truly capable of evaluating to be the judge. And then finally, throw yourself upon the Lord's mercy. Since only the Lord can truly judge and only his evaluation is ultimately accurate, since only the Lord is creator of the world, only his evaluation ultimately is valuable. And that evaluation awaits, Paul reminds us, the day of the Lord. And that's the hard part, right? Because so much of who we are is crying out for commendation, for evaluation right now. And part of what Paul is reminding us is Christian life is a lot of waiting. A lot of waiting in faith and trusting that as I do the right thing, as I seek to live out the expectations that the Lord has placed upon me, as I seek to live those out, good things are going to happen, but I won't know what they are. I'll get, by God's grace, I'll be able to see some of them here and there, but there's a lot I'm not going to know, and sometimes it's going to feel like I'm doing the wrong thing, and it's sometimes to see like it's having the worst reaction, and, 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 and just keep going, because as Paul says, it's about faithfulness. In the meantime, we have to be careful not to give too much weight to the evaluations of those who can neither see fully nor commend authoritatively. 
That's the work of the Lord. There's something tremendously freeing to hold all of that in its proper framework, in its proper place. As we listen to one another and receive feedback within the context of a larger understanding of who the true evaluator is and who the true commender is. One last question that you say, but what if I didn't meet the expectations of the Lord? So let's just say I get rid of the world's expectations. I really hone in on the Lord's expectations. And then what happens if I don't meet those? And the answer is, for this, we have this tremendous gospel of Jesus Christ. We have grace and we have forgiveness and we have freedom in Christ. And so we, we end up being in this, what, what we could call this gracious bind between our successes being noted by the only one who can truly affirm them and our failures being forgiven by the only one who can truly forgive them. And when we live in that tension, when we live in that framework, we find freedom and we find joy. And that's what Paul is inviting us into. Uh, I always love to watch six-year-old soccer games, you know. This is like the first year of soccer. And you throw all the kids on the field and they kind of just go wild and they do their own thing. And some of them are really into soccer. They get it. And they're working hard and they're playing and they're striving and it's, they're having the joy of an intense effort and they're playing soccer. And others could be on any random field anywhere at that moment. And they're just looking around. And they're I remember one game with one of our kids, six-year-old soccer, and the gophers started poking out of the field. And half of the field stopped the soccer game completely and just started watching the gophers, you know, and playing with the gophers. And the other half just kept playing soccer. And guess what? As this is going on, nobody cares. There's freedom and there's joy. And there's childlikeness, like we experienced early in our service this morning. And it's interesting, you know, we're watching, some of us are going to watch the football game this afternoon. And some of the, the ones who continue to thrive and succeed in sports all the way to the professional level is because they, they don't lose that sense of joy in just playing the game. And the weight of expectations, even the heavy burdens of their career and everything upon them, don't steal that joy. They maintain that sense of freedom in the midst. And Jesus is, he's literally making it possible for you to go to that place with respect to your life. To live in that place on a daily basis with respect to your whole life. Because he holds you in this beautiful and gracious bind. Your successes are noted by the only one who can truly affirm them. And your failures are forgiven by the only one who can truly forgive them. So God, would you help us? Would you help us to live in this gracious bind where we find freedom and joy and a release from striving and worrying of judgment, but we get to do and live into the expectations you have placed upon us, the expectations to proclaim your gospel, the expectations to love others as you empower us to do so. 
And Lord, let the result be that we are like children on the field, playing with joy, doing the thing that you have called us to do in freedom. And through that, we know the world will be changed and transformed. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.